Hey, wherever you're listening from, thanks for tuning in to Sunday Morning Messages here at Fern Creek Christian Church. If there's any way our church family can be a blessing to you, let us know. Email us at office at ferncreekcc.org or call us at 502-239-9300. You can follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. Without further ado, here's the message. Well, hey, thanks again for, for sharing your Sunday with us. Before we get to the sermon, I want to introduce you to a couple who uh, we had a baptism and a transfer last Sunday, but this is Vicki and Jim Eddington. Jim was baptized. Vicki came as a immersed believer, so she transferred her membership. But let's welcome these, these two, the Fern Creek family. And we had three other transfers and a baptism in first service, so God continues to be on the move. We celebrate that. If you're visiting with us, uh, welcome. We, we, we are going through uh, a section of the Bible that very few people go through, the last section of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. We're in week five, so not quite halfway through, but we're taking one of the prophets a week, uh, one of the books uh, that they wrote, and, and then we're, uh, we're kind of unpacking that. And, and today, do I have a whopper for you? You might say a whale of a story for you. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 today's none other than the prophet Jonah. Um, I don't know what you know about Jonah. You're gonna learn a lot about him, but he is probably the most reluctant and rebellious of all the prophets, major or minor. I mean, he is pouty. He's disobedient. He's callous. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about this rebellious prophet, but, but not only are we going to learn about him, we're going to learn, learn a whole lot more about the God who he serves. So if you have the book of Jonah open, let's, let's dive in. If you don't have your Bible, there's a lot of scripture on the screen we're going to go through, but let's look at Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. <laughs> but Jonah ran away from the Lord. And headed for Tarshish, he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So, so friends, pretty straightforward. God taps this dude on the shoulder and he says, hey, I want you to, uh, to do something for me. And Jonah's like, nah, baby, no. Mm -mm. Not going, right? And not only does Jonah run from God, he runs as far away from God as you could. It's like God telling you, I need you to go to New York, and you're going like, I'm going to San Diego. I'm out, right? So, so the question becomes, why? Like, this is not profit material, right? So the question becomes, like, okay, why does he do this? Well, well, there are a lot of reasons, but let me just give you one. Nineveh was a terrible place. I mean, you got Sodom, you got Gomorrah, you got Las Vegas, and you, and you got Nineveh, right? I mean, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. The Assyrian army, Nineveh is the capital. It was a horrible people, these Assyrians. Pagan people, horrible. When the Assyrians um, captured your city, we have kids in the room, so I'm not going to go there. But they did horrific, ungodly, detestable things to other human beings. And God's like, I want you to go and preach against those people. Um, so it was a bad place, bad people. And Jonah's like, I, have, I don't want anything to do with them. So he doesn't pray about it. He doesn't struggle over it. He just, he just runs. 
Um, now, before again, when we read this stuff, and sometimes you're tempted to like, oh, I'm out there. Before we get too nuclear on him, again, this is an opportunity for us to self-reflect. Let's do a little self-reflection before we get too hard on Jonah. Do you and I have a Nineveh? Are there places that perhaps God has called us where we throw a fit? Like, like is there a secret sin that God says to us, hey, I want you to give this up, and we go, no. Is there somebody God wants us to forgive? And we go, no. Is there a job God is asking us to do, and we cross our arms and stomp our foot and say, no. If we're honest, there's probably a little Jonah in all of us. But Jonah eventually learns what we all do. You can't outrun God. And so Jonah gets on this ship and they begin to sail and God's like, I see where you're at. And God sends a storm that threatens to break the ship apart and to sink it. Um, and, and, and look at what we read in verse eight. The sailors are petrified. So, so they cast lots, like, like who is the troublemaker? What is going on? And it falls on Jonah. So they asked Jonah, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And look what Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, peel that back for a second. Again, when we read the Bible, we always wanna rest in it and say, okay, God, what is there in this for me? So peel it back. Jonah knows, he knows he's running away from God. And, and, and for the first time, he begins to realize my disobedience is, is spilling into the lives of innocent people. And, and that's huge because a lot of us don't understand that lesson. A lot of us think, if I sin, if I disobey God, that's just on me. Like, it, it won't impact anybody else. But you know that's not true. You, you know that lies, that addiction, that anger, that disobedience ripples. It doesn't stay contained to just you. It spills out on innocent people around you. So Jonah has put innocent people in harm's way because of his disobedience. <laughs> and watch this, bless their hearts. <laughs> the sailors try to help him, right? So they're like, throw you overboard. No, we would never do such a thing. So they try to turn the ship around and they try to sail it back to the shore. The only problem is the storm gets violently worse. I mean, the ship, like it was bad, but now it's worse. And there is a huge, there is a huge lesson here. Why is the storm getting worse? Why is it growing more violent? Well, here's why. The sailors are resisting the plan of God. God doesn't want Jonah on the land. God has a lesson prepared for him, and that's in the ocean. And sometimes, again, there's a practical lesson for us. Sometimes we rush to protect people who are rebelling against God, who are disobeying God. And, and we think, oh, they, we, we think we're doing them a favor. Oh, they need my help, and yeah, I know what they're doing is wrong, but I just, I just wanna love them and I wanna help them. 
And sometimes God is like, well, I want them in the sea. I want them in the, in the water. You're bringing them to the shore. That's not where they need to be. I want them out here. So sometimes, I'm just saying, sometimes we just need to turn people over to God. Sometimes we have to allow our children or our parents or a family member face the consequences of their rebellion, not to harm them, not to hurt them, but so God might redirect them because that's something only God can do. So they throw him over. That's exactly where God wanted him. And look what God does, verse 17. Then the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days, three nights. Now before you roll your eyes, because this is the one. Of all the miracles of the Bible, this is always the one. I'm that guy in the fish. It sounds like Pinocchio, right? I can't believe it, right? So what are, what are we to do with this? Do we read it as a parable, a, a symbolic story, an allegory that teaches a, a lesson, or do we read this as historical truth? Well, well, let me tell you why I read this as historical truth. This was a real man in a real fish in a real time. Two reasons. Number one, the Bible never says he was swallowed by a whale. You know that, right? The Bible says it was a special fish specifically prepared by God. Now again, before you roll your eyes, let me ask you a question. Have we, as mere mortals, human beings, have we figured out a way to design a metallic fish that can keep men and women alive under the water for days upon days upon days? Without, have we been able to figure that out? We call it a what? Submarine. And if we as mere mortals have been able to figure out how to put together a submarine, don't you think Almighty God can create a specific, once in a lifetime special fish to keep a man alive? Absolutely. See, it all comes back to how you view Genesis 1-1. How you understand the very first verse of the Bible will dictate how you read the rest of it. Do you remember the first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Friends, if he can do that, he can do anything he wants. So I, I, I believe in a God who can do anything he wants. So I believe God did create a special fish for this specific purpose. Second reason I believe this to be historically valid is that Jesus believed it was historically valid. Jesus believed this was a real story about a real man and a real fish. There was a, there was a time when he was asked to give a sign. Well, let me read it to you. Look at Mark chapter 12. They asked Jesus to give a sign. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three, nights, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So I'm just telling you, to Jesus, Jonah was a real man. It was a real fish, and it was a real three days and three nights. Why in the world would Jesus link his death, burial, and resurrection to an allegory? Why would he link his death, burial, and resurrection to a parable, to a fable? No, Jesus said this was a real thing and a real guy. So welcome to a church that teaches Jonah was a real man. This was a real fish sent by a real God who can do anything he wants to do. That's Jonah 1. Jonah 2 opens up and it begins to describe what his three-day, three-night cruise looked like. Let me read it for you. Verse 2, in my distress I called to the Lord. Verse 2, from the depths of the grave I called for help. 
Verse three, the current swirled around me. Verse five, seaweed was wrapped around my head. Verse six, to the root of the mountains I sank. Verse seven, then my life was ebbing away. I remembered you and my prayer rose to you. So, so, so friend, if you're running from the Lord today, like uh, if you've rebelled, uh, you're doing your own thing, and some reason you feel angry and empty void and confused and God feels distant. If you're at the end of your rope, if you're in the belly of a fish, if you're in the depths of the ocean, call to him. Call to him. Reach out to him. Confess your sin and and pray to him. That's what Jonah does. Listen, God was using this fish to soften the calloused heart of a prophet. And I'm just saying there may be times in your life where God will send something big your way, not to harm you, not to destroy you, but to soften your heart, to redirect you, to call you back to him. And then Jonah repents and it leads to probably by all time, well, when we get to, the Italian Malachi, I'll give you my favorite minor prophet verse, but this is my second all-time minor prophet verse of all the minor prophets, Jonah 2.10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Projectile by picture, right? Isn't that a great verse? The fish tossed his cookies, blue chunks, heaved, ralphed. Jonah took a trip on the regurgitation highway. <laughs> I'm so sorry, that's too much. <laughs> Chapter three, verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Jonah wasn't waiting for a giant bird to come and swallow him. He's like, I got it, I'll go, right? And away he went. Now, now stop for a second. In, in all the minor prophets, what I'm attempting to do is to draw application, but I'm also trying to give you historical context. You understand there's a reason why God does everything he does. Like God does nothing on a whim. God does nothing by accident. Everything he does, he does for a purpose. So here's the question, why, why a fish? I mean, why didn't God just send a big wind and blow the ship? Nineveh? Why didn't an octopus come and just drag the boat? Well, let me tell you exactly why. The fish was purposeful. The people of Nineveh, I told you, were Assyrian. And the Assyrians worshiped many gods. But one of their primary gods was the god Dagon. They worshiped Dagon. And this is how Dagon was depicted. Look at this. Dagon was a merman. Half fish, half man. So imagine you're in a Syrian family, you're at the beach for holiday, and suddenly a giant fish beaches itself, opens its mouth, and vomits out a bleached skin, no eyebrow, ball-headed man wrapped in seaweed saying, I've got a message from God. (laughs) So the Assyrians are so open to Jonah because they worship this half fish, half man. And here is this guy who says, man, I've got a message from God has been belched out of a fish. So I'm not praising rebellion. I'm showing you that God could even take that. 
God can even take your disobedience, your scratches, your scars, and he can use them for his glory. Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul puts it this way. My grace is all you need, God says. God says, my power works best in weakness. And then Paul's response is, well, now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, there's this misconception that a lot of church people have and a lot of non-church people have, a lot of non-church, well, if I come to, I've, I've just done too much. I have one, you don't, if you only knew what I said, what I thought, what I did, God could never use someone as scarred and as jacked up as me. And I would say to you, meet my friend Jonah, who was just as jacked and just as scarred. God loves to use scarred prophets. Jonah 3, 4. So he goes into the city, watch his sermon. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days and you're toast. That's his message. The, 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 in all the four chapters of Jonah, Jonah's sermon is eight words long. How, how would you feel if my sermons were only eight words long? Don't answer that out loud. I was just waiting for the big amen, right? Yeah. Well, watch how powerful the eight words of Jonah are. And the whole city repents. The whole city repents. Their king, listen to what the king of, of the Assyrian capital, Nineveh, listen to what he says after this eight-word sermon. Jonah 3, 7, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on, on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now watch, watch this, watch this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. Even on, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. One of the charges we get with the minor prophets is, oh, he's so evil and he's so mad and he's so angry. But there's this undercurrent in every minor prophet book of the love and the compassion and the grace of God. God takes these savage, horrible, detestable, evil people and he says, I, I love them and I will go to great lengths to bring them back to me. And I'm just here to remind you God loves you that way. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how long it's been. God loves you with every fiber of his being. He sent not a fish for you. He sent his son to die for you. And he can redeem you. But you've got to respond. You've got to respond like the Ninevites respond. You've got to accept that. You've got to repent. You've got to call upon the name of God. You've got to come home. Now you would expect, you would expect the story of Jonah to end right there. The people repent, revival sweeps the city, God doesn't destroy them, roll the credits. Not so fast, my friend. There's a fourth chapter, and it's staggering. Staggering, the fourth chapter. A lot of people just stop right there, and they never talk about the fourth chapter. The fourth chapter is where the meat is. 
Look at Jonah chapter four, verse one. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, oh, Lord, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And now we get it. Now you understand why he ran away. He wasn't scared to go to Nineveh. He wasn't threatened by the Ninevites. He was afraid God would show them grace. He was afraid they would repent and God would not destroy them. He wanted to watch them burn. He, he, he didn't think they deserved the grace of God. You talk about a hard-hearted, callous, rebellious prophet. But even then, God tries to soften him. E even with this mindset that they don't deserve your love, God's gonna try to soften his heart. Watch what God does, look at verse four. But the Lord replied to Jonah, talking to Jonah, have you any right? <laughs> what, what are you so mad about? But Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. God tries talking to Jonah, but Jonah's like, I don't want any up. No, talk to the hand, right? And he just goes and he sits down. Think about the hard-heartedness of this guy. Jonah walks in and just eight-word sermon. 40 days, you're gone. He doesn't go back. And then he leaves. So he shows up, he preaches, and he leaves. He doesn't stay to teach them. He doesn't stay in the city to pray for them, to encourage them, to disciple them. He just shows up, preaches, and he leaves, goes up to a hill overlooking the city, pulls out his popcorn, and he says, you know what? They're gonna backslide. Once an Assyrian, always an Assyrian. They're gonna backslide, and when they do, burn, baby, burn. God's gonna show up, he gave them a chance, they're gonna slip back into old ways, and then God's gonna set them on fire. And, and Jonah, Jonah sees everybody else's wickedness. He refuses to self-reflect and find his own. And even still, even still, God's gonna to continue to knock on the door of his heart. So, so, so here's what God's gonna to do to try to get his attention. Um, overnight, miraculously, God causes a plant to spring up, and it's a plant that has ginormous leaves. J Jonah has no shade. There's no shade, and us bald people love our shade. Let me just tell you, right? And so the sun's beating down, and so this plant grows up, and it gives Jonah shade. And for the first time in the book, he's happy. He's not, he's not happy until he has shade. Not happy because God called him or God spoke to him. No, he's not happy about that. Not happy because God saved the sailors whose lives he endangered? Nope, not happy about that. He's not happy because God saved him from drowning. He's not happy because God saved him from the fish. He's not happy because God gave him a second chance. He's not happy because a lost city has just repented and been saved. What makes him happy? Shade. And you think, how self-absorbed can a guy be? And even still, God will try to reach this hard-hearted prophet. Listen to what God says to him in verse seven. 
But at dawn the next day, so he's got this shade. Watch what God does. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. <laughs> a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, here it is again. Here's the, do you have any right? Do you have any right to be so angry about the vine? I do. <laughs> yes, said Jonah. I want to die. So, so, so do you understand what God is doing to try to reach this prophet? He sent something really big. He sent a fish. And it worked for about a week. And then God said something little. A little worm. Did it work? Not so sure. So the application, friends, for you and I is staggering. There are times when God will send big things your way. There are other times when he will send little worms your way. And the question for all of us is, do I see it? Do I get it? Or like Jonah, do they just go over my head and I just keep going without even realizing God, God's trying to get my attention? Watch how the book comes to an end. It is so unique. It is so incredible how this book ends. Watch how it ends Chapter four, verse 10. But the Lord said, you have, you've been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it, though you did not make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But, but Jonah, Nineveh. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Nineveh was bigger than 120,000 people. What God is saying is there are 120,000 children who don't understand, who don't know what's going on. 120,000 who don't know their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And then it bookends. It just ends. And we're left with this agonizing tension. We're, we're left with a bunch of unanswered questions. Does Jonah finally get it? We don't know. Does Jonah repent from his hard-hearted callousness? We don't know. Does Jonah go back into the city and, and teach them and disciple them? We don't know. Does Jonah ever sail again? <laughs> we don't know, all right? But, but here's, here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. Five lessons for you to take from the book of Jonah. Number one, when God calls us to do something hard, don't run away. Don't run away. If God ever calls you to do something hard, don't run away, you can't outrun God. Number two, if you ever find yourself at the bottom of the ocean, you ever find yourself in the belly of a fish, it's a great time to call on the Lord. Say, God, help me, forgive me, save me. Number three, God loves everybody, even the people who do so many wicked things. So many hard-hearted things. God will move heaven and earth to bring lost people back to him. God loves people that much. Number four, when, when you repent, when, when you sin and when you come to your senses and when you repent, God wipes your slate clean. And any mistake, any scar, 
Even your disobedience can be used for his glory. And number five, friend, your whole life, God will send things your way. Some big, some little. Sometimes a giant fish, sometimes a little worm. May God give us eyes to see when he sends those things and not miss them like Jonah, the book of Jonah. Let me pray. Hey, thanks again for listening. That was a powerful message we just heard. If this is your first time hearing a Fern Creek Christian Church sermon or you're just kind of checking us out, we want to know you. We want to know your name, your story, your journey with Jesus, your questions, your doubts, your fears. Uh, We want you to be a part of our community. And so while we see online tools as a helpful resource to reach people, we want to invite you to -to face-to-face interaction and real community in person. And so come to one of our Sunday morning services and worship with us, with our family at 9, 10, 15, or 1130. All three services are the same. Sometimes we sing hymns, sometimes we sing contemporary music. Whatever we do, we worship the God of the Bible. We preach the Bible. We cling to God's grace and truth as revealed in scripture. And if you're looking for community, come and see what God's doing at Fern Creek. If there's any way we can pray for you, please let us know. We don't see prayer requests as a burden. We see them as an opportunity to see God's faithfulness and to walk with you through whatever you're facing. Email us at office at ferncreekcc.org. Call us at 502-239-9300 or visit our website, www.ferncreekcc.org and fill out the prayer request section. As we always end services here at Fern Creek, Grace, peace. See you soon.